If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have one, you're welcome to to grab one that's in the seat back in front of you. I don't know if you've ever noticed the uh, complete inequality there is with bodily sounds in public here in America, Um, but but take this particular setting this morning. Um, If any one of you in this morning coughed or hiccuped sniffed, snorted, burped, or did any other sound, uh, people would just try to ignore it. But if you sneeze, right? If you sneeze, what's going to happen? Right. There's going to be protocol. There's things to do. There's things to say. There's, there's rules to kind of follow with that. Um, and, and, uh, and for the most part, other sounds, we just try, you know, you try to blame it on the person next to you, or there's no, there's nothing at all. There's no response whatsoever. But sneeze, there's a giant show that kind of goes on. I was a bank teller for a while, and it was fairly boring, because we were a, a fairly slow branch. And um, so I had to find ways to pass the time that would be more productive. And long before Wikipedia, I had this burning question in my head, and that was this. What do people from other countries and cultures say after you sneeze? Because surely God bless you isn't necessarily universal. And so I started to just ask people who came up in friendly conversation. I mean, I worked it in. It wasn't completely awkward. I tried to lead towards sneezing uh, and then and then ask that question. But I actually had quite a list going. And um, I could have gone in and started, you know, and posted that on Wikipedia, but I was too late. Um, but I began to just ask people. And, of course, people know Gesundheit, right? That's, that's actually transferred to other countries. That's been exported, which is kind of uh, interesting and funny. Um, but here's a couple. One is that in Arabic, uh, people literally say, praise be to God, which is interesting. We're supposed to worship God in all things, so I find that actually bi- biblical. In Iceland, people say literally, God help you. Uh, in Mongolia, evidently it's a sin because they say, may God forgive you. Like when you sneeze, God forgive you for doing that. Um, in Romanian, I had a, a kid in, in our, our youth group who was Romanian, and it was, I think it was like... Um, Yastesh or Stoyastesh or something else like that. And basically it means live! And it's like you're shouting at the person live because they believe that you were closest to death when you were sneezing. So it's like you're snatching them from, from the death grip, you know, live! And they kind of shouted at you. Um, what's interesting is around the world, there's, it's quite the spiritual experience, uh, to, to be, to be sneezing. There's all kinds of God talk that gets kind of, kind of brought into it. Of course, we have the word, God bless you, that that comes up. I bring all of this up, not to talk about sneezing, but to talk about the blessing of God, okay? And that is the most common vernacular way I hear it said right now in my everyday life outside of church, is people saying, God bless you, after a sneeze. What we're going to look at this morning is the life of Abraham. And in the life of Abraham, God is coming. He's going to build a nation. That's the part of the story we're in in Genesis and he's going to build a nation. He's going to come to Abraham or to Abram, and he's going to invite him to participate. Um, to put it kind of succinctly, his invitation is to be blessed. Now, to think about what the blessing of God is can be a little bit challenging, especially if you grew up watching any sorts of TV, because even if you didn't watch the religious channel, which interestingly enough, on my off week, my mom didn't take me to church, um, and I still had this sense that I should go to church, even though my mom didn't take me, uh, my parents were divorced, and so we went to a big enough church that it was actually on channel 36, so if you got the rabbit ears just right, I could watch my church on TV, in my pajamas, next to the heater, kind of getting them burned a little bit, because I'd sit there and watch church. 
Um, but when I couldn't get that channel, I would sometimes go to other channels and I would watch other people preaching. And I remember how different it was than our church. I really thank God for a, a church that taught me the Bible and preached from the Bible. But I found some others that, you know, their little face would be on the TV screen. Sometimes they were weeping. Sometimes there was a guy riding a white stallion. I wasn't sure what that was about. Um, but this, but this one, you know, he's talking away and, and he's saying, you know, come and touch your TV screen right here. Come touch it right here. You'll be blessed. Touch it. And I was sitting there going, wow, really? I wonder, I never went and touched. I didn't believe the guy. He looked like a charlatan, a scam, a fake guy to me. Um, but I learned about TV preachers sometimes just from watching some of that. And, and some of you uh, maybe have been raised in traditions where to talk about the blessing of God, you actually have to untrain your brain a little bit. You have to unlearn what's been poured into you. There's a certain problem that comes with people um, who equate God's blessing with health, wealth, um, being liked, and liking all people. Um, and the name it and claim it kind of prosperity gospel that if you are walking with God, uh, all things will go well with you. And the problem is this. The Bible actually knows nothing of that. The problem is Jesus' good news was not a prosperity gospel. And, and if you ever have this question burning in your head, you ever have someone come and ask you this question, would God ever allow bad things happen to one who was faith-filled and living in his will? Would God ever allow something bad to happen who's doing that? Because the people I've talked with who are in this stream say this, if things are wrong in your life, it's your fault for not having enough faith. Grow up in your faith. God's going to remove that. He never wants that stuff to happen to you. There's a giant resounding answer to that. The the answer to that is yes, he would. How do we know that? Jesus Was Jesus filled with faith? Shake your head up and down. Was Jesus walking in the will of God? Absolutely, perfectly. Would Jesus have fit in kind of a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel? Is Jesus getting his best life now? No. I mean, all these different things that we see, Jesus is the answer to that, that that's not what's accurate. We're in a series called Step of Yes. And what we're doing is we're taking the Bible and looking at the Old Testament, all these invitations that God had. God approaches people. He invites them uh, to, to partner with him. He invites them to participate with him in what he's doing uh, in this world. We've already looked at several of these invitations. Walk with me. Be a missionary. Build. Fight. To Job, he said, suffer. Now we come along, and if we could pick all the different invitations, wouldn't it be great if you could pick your invitation that, that God came to you with? Here's the one he comes to Abram with. I'm inviting you to be blessed. Now, if I see all these choices lined up, I'm like, hmm, suffer, be a missionary, fight, or be blessed. I'll pick that one. The truth is, we don't get to pick. We don't. God comes to each of us individually and, and invites us in a unique way in some, in some different ways. Uh, Abram of Ur is where he was from. Just a quick background before we get to to Genesis 12. We're going to read from Genesis 12 here in just a moment. I told you all to turn there, and I didn't turn there. Shame on me. Um, First of all, we know that he was from pagan ancestry, meaning that uh, his family, and he was trained, he was brought up uh, worshiping false gods. That's that's who he was. Um, 
we, we find Abram, he wasn't really, uh, he wasn't seeking after God. He was actually minding his own business when God approached him. He wasn't seeking God, God was seeking him. There's great comfort for people who, who say, well, my, my, uh, I didn't have a church background. I don't know all this stuff. I didn't grow up with the gospel. Praise God. God seeks out those who aren't even seeking him. They're just minding their own business. God can rescue you out of pagan ancestry. You don't need to have good parents who modeled what it was to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ in front of you. You should sure be thankful if you had that, but it's not necessary, obviously. Genesis 12, uh, verse 1. Follow along with me. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Lot's his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now Abraham's, Abram is going to turn into Abraham here in just a moment. Abraham's influence quite literally can't be overstated. He is a massive figure, not just in in the Christian faith, not just in our church. Um, He is the great patriarch of Israel. Uh, To New Testament believers, Romans 4.16 calls him the father of us all. Uh, There's a cute little song we sing growing up in, in church, Father Abraham, right? Had what? Many sons. You got it. We could stand up and do the hand motions if we wanted to. Um, we see that his faith pleased God. Abraham is repeatedly used in the New Testament. They keep looking back on Abraham's life to argue the point of him finding uh, 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 good standing with God, justification before God because of his faith. And, and, they, and they keep reaching back to that theme from Abraham's life. We know that he was tested by God. He was found faithful. And his trusting and obedient way has been modeled and mimicked and talked about and preached the world over. Abraham was called. Now, uh, those of you who know your scriptures know that uh, Abraham and Sarah probably didn't look quite like this picture. Uh, but it's a cool picture. And if you know their story, the stars and the sand line up perfectly. But, but let's just say at 75, he did look this good. I couldn't find a 75-year-old couple uh, with the same epicness of the shot. But, um, but what we see, this is Acts, um, Acts 7 too. You can just write this down. In Acts 7, there's a sermon being given by this guy named Stephen. He's about to be stoned for his faith, killed for his faith. And in Acts 7, if you ever want to get a quick synopsis of the Old Testament, or you just want to kind of review some of the basics, in Acts 7, Stephen actually goes and he kind of recounts Jewish history in his sermon. He reaches back. Here's, uh, here's verse 2 of, of, of chapter 7, just talking about the calling of Abraham. It says this, And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, go out from your land, from your kindred, and go into that land that I will show you. Abraham was called by God. And what we're going to see is God appears to him several times that we know of that are recorded uh, in the scriptures here. We looked a little bit last week at the Uh, at the man Gideon, who's called Mighty Warrior long before he's acting that way. And I alluded to to Abram. Abram, the name means exalted father. God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of the multitudes. He's already the exalted father by name. 
God changes it to the Hebrew name Abraham, which is father of the multitudes. It's symbolic of this covenant and blessing that he was entering into. It's, it's powerful to note. He calls him this. He changes the name for the mission he has for him while he and Sarah are childless. That's when he says, you know what? Your name's going to be father of the multitudes. Hebrews 11, uh, 12 says this. They're talking about this man of faith. And it says um, that the child of promise came through Sarah, who was well past childbearing uh, years, and Abraham, who himself was as good as dead. <laughs> In other words, he's an old geezer, and he shouldn't be having kids at this point. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews is just showing it's a child of promise. It's a supernatural birth that God gave to Abraham. It took great faith at this point to believe that he genuinely would be the father of the multitudes. All right, so Abraham is called to be blessed. Over and over again, we see that God blesses and then reiterates blessing. Here's what I want to do. Starting, uh, starting in chapter 12 here, I want to just kind of skim through his, his life a little bit and just show you some of the different places that God comes to him and says that he's going to bless him and several times reiterates that blessing. Um, so uh, we, we just read in chapter 2, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will dishonor those who curse. Uh, with, with those who dishonor you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's what's fascinating. All of what was prophesied in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 right there, have come true. Of all the people who lived in the land of Ur, who were we talking about this morning? Abraham. Think about this. Worldwide, of all the people who lived anywhere... How many can you think of that are more famous than Abraham? There's not many. There are some big names out there. But if you talk about, if you bring up, you try this, you bring up Abraham with people from different faiths and you see if they understand him. What do you understand about this figure in history named Abraham? Most people that I've met and talked to have an opinion on him, have heard of him, talk about him. What was part of the blessing? I will make your name great. It's not something to be overlooked that, that the words stated to him at his call have come true. We're sitting here talking about him today, uh, centuries later. The Jewish people count Abraham as the father of their nation. Through him, Jews and Gentiles are blessed. So, if we kind of fast forward, God does bless him and grows his family into an, into a nation. His nephew Lot gets into some trouble by some kind of raiders. Abraham turns into kind of, he kind of brings in like a, you know, Navy SEAL Team 6 type rescue, gets Lot out of there uh, with some, with some really big courage. And then after this, there's, uh, there's this mysterious Melchizedek who shows up. Flip over to Genesis 14. In Genesis 14, starting in verse 18, it says this, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Then it says in verse 20, 
um, or at the end of it, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So here we have this picture of this mysterious Melchizedek. Some scholars believe you can read it and make a decision yourself that this is an appearance of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ existed eternally. And Melchizedek, you could read more about him actually in the book of Hebrew. But here he is, he comes, he's a, he's a um, priest of the Lord Most High, and he blesses him. He reiterates that, that Abram's there. He actually points out that victory that you just had, that came from God. That's, that's blessing from God that just happened. And what does Abram do? He turns around and he worships God by, 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 worshiping, by, by giving him a, a tenth of everything. That's the word tithe. All right, here's the third one. Look at Genesis 15.1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Here he is, just reiterating it. Go down to verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted, and, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the, of, of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So here, once again, in, in chapter 15, God is reiterating, I'm going to bless you with, with a whole giant big family and land. Now, mind you, if you're in that day and age, that is the pinnacle of good things happening to you. Lots of of kids, lots of offspring, a big family, and land. Those are kind of the two things you would long for if you lived in that day and age. All right, fast forward. Go up to to chapter 22. In 22, we have probably the most famous picture of Abraham and Isaac. And frankly, it's one of the more troubling passages in all of Scripture. What we have is this giant test that's being given to Abraham, and that is to sacrifice this son of promise. He knew that Isaac was the son of promise, and God instructs him to sacrifice him on an altar in worship to God, which you can't just explain away and say, well, people did crazy things back there. No, there certainly was more practice of that around, but even then, it was definitely thought to be evil and it contradicted the ways in the heart of God, uh, or so it would seem to Abraham. Now, let me just put this in a little bit of context here. Um, how many of you are married in this room? Just raise your hand. Let me see if you're married. Okay, a lot of you are married. You can put your hand down. Now, you don't have to raise your hand at this one, okay? But, but you can just kind of think in your head. Watch your head, because you might nod vigorously and that might give something away. How many of you would say that you have strain in your marriage? Okay? Again, people are like, hold the head still. Um, I don't know what is causing strain in your marriage, um, but I think that this might be the ultimate strain in marriage. If, if I were to go to my wife today and say, Honey, planning a little father-son trip, uh, only one of us will be coming back. I'm going to kill our child because God told me to. Now, if that doesn't put a strain on marriage, I don't know what does. That's tough, right? Uh, they, 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 uh, they set out and they start climbing this mountain to go do this instruction that God's given to them. And I don't know about you, but I've thought about that trip up before and I thought, wow, what an awkward trip that must have been. I don't know what they talked about. But the son's seen this go on before and knows, you know, we've got the fire and we've got the wood. Um, 
There's nothing to sacrifice, though. And then Abraham is tested, and, and it shows this picture. You've probably seen it in a kid's Bible. You've probably seen it depicted in art through the centuries. But it's this picture where he's going to plunge the knife in and kill his very own son. And at the last possible moment, what does God do? God provides a ram that's caught in a thicket. God provides. So they take the ram and they swap places. The son's, I'm sure, glad about that. If it wasn't an awkward walk up, it surely was an awkward walk back down. Maybe a quiet walk down. I don't know if Junior ever felt safe around Dad again or if he ever got to babysit alone. or I don't know how that all worked out. But we can't just skip past this. It's, it's this. it's this giant test. As you read this, you have to understand that this, this apparently evil assignment was straight out of the heart of God, and God doesn't change. And rather than just rushing to the example of faith that Abraham displayed, we have to wrestle with, yeah, but God was asking him to kill his own son. As I read that and kind of wrestle with that, it stirs some discomfort in me and has over the years. What I know about my relationship with God is this, is that God of the scriptures is not God from my own mind and my own making, because I would never have allowed God to do that. I would want to explain that part of God away. But just like any relationship that you have with any other person, you discover who they are and you make your new adjustments to let that fit and say that's, that's who they are. As I read this, I think about this, that Abraham is tested beyond what appears to me to be good taste. He trusts God beyond what's logical even. Hebrews puts this spin on it saying this. It's commentating on that event saying, um, saying that Abram must have just been sacrificing him knowing that God could raise the dead. He's already produced a, a, a miracle child in him. But I wrestle with that. Immediately after this, look at verse 17 of chapter 22. God takes him through this test, and then he says this, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. He comes back and says, surely I'm going to bless you. He's, he's reinstating it after this, this time of testing. He's coming in and bringing comfort into it. Generations later, there would come a scene very, very similar to this, except for this one fact. There would be no last second ram in the thicket for God as he sacrifices his son Jesus on the cross. Abraham got a substitute for his son. It's sure easy for us to look back and see, wow, to put theological thought on that and say, wow, God is put in that same situation, but there's no one above God that can come and take that punishment and take that wrath. And so the son stays and the son bleeds and the son dies. And in this offspring, all the nations of the earth are blessed. That's Jesus. Abraham shows us something that those who were invited to be blessed have only to receive it or to reject it. Abraham is invited to be blessed by God. 
I've just shown you four pictures in the scriptures where God comes back and either reiterates or adds some layer to it of how he's going to be blessed. Now, here's what I know about us as people in general. We notoriously don't like just being blessed without doing anything in return. Time and time again, we want to help God in our own saving process. Time and again, we want to work for it. Time and again, we feel that we need to do something and therefore be seen as good by God. Flip in your Bibles over to Romans chapter 9. Romans 9 is near the far right of your Bible if you're relatively new. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the first four books of the New Testament. Acts and then Romans. Turn to Romans 9. I want you to look at this. By the way, here's, here's Paul arguing from the life of Abraham to this very point, that those who are being invited to be blessed by God are only to receive it or reject it. They can't do anything more about it. That's the nature of grace. Here's a little side point. Um, notice that. Here's, here's Paul building an argument. The whole book of Romans is written to, to a group of churches, and he's really preaching. He's really building this 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 argument to a point. And what you see in the life of the Apostle Paul is that the Apostle Paul who lived in, in our past and in Abraham's future, he reaches way back to the patriarchs. He reaches way back to the Old Testament and he uses their stories and he quotes them and he looks at their life as really happening, as really important for today's uh, people to bend their mind and, and to, to influence their will and say, look at how God in, instructed them. Let me just show you a few of them. Look at verse 7 of chapter 9. Abraham is mentioned. Look at verse 9. Sarah is mentioned. Look at verse 10. Rebecca. Verse 13. Jacob. Verse 15. Moses. Verse 17. He's talking about Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh's a bad example. Verse 25. Hosea. Verse 27, Isaiah. Going to chapter 10, there's more Moses, more um, Isaiah, more quoting of the Old Testament. In chapter 11, verse 2, he's talking about Elijah. In verse 9, he talks about David. Did you hear the list that I just read? That's a lot of Old Testament. That's a lot of old patriarchs. That's a lot of worthwhile going back and considering their lives. It's exactly what Paul did. Here's what's kind of cool. This series is just keeping in that tradition. If you ever find yourself reading the Old Testament like I do sometimes, and you're reading it going, what on earth does one more bird dying have to do with my life today? I don't really care where they sprinkled the blood. It's just all kind of gross to me. As you read the Old Testament, know that the Old Testament is two-thirds of the Holy Scriptures. Know that these lives and these examples are worth going back and reexamining. And don't let yourself settle for just kind of the cutesy one-page summary story uh, kids' Bible version of their life. And don't try to dress up Abraham to be more than Abraham is as some untouchable saint. We're going to look at some of his downfalls and some of his pitfalls. Have you noticed that everyone that God's invited, there's some level, there's something to them that sounds an awful lot like us or the people we know? That's on purpose. All right, that was just a little side note. Now, back to Romans chapter 9. Let me read just verses 4 to 8. Here's Paul making this argument that that it's God that does the saving and that we don't help. He says, They are Israelites, 
And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, that is, the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. (coughs) This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise as counted, are, are counted as offspring. Now, Peter comments on Paul at one point and says, there are some things he writes that are very confusing. I've just taken a rather confusing part of Scripture and read you just a little snippet of it. Here's what I hope that does. I hope that whets your appetite to go, what was that talking about? Go read the whole passage in context. That's what you do. But let me just extrapolate and say, from this one part, here's what he was getting at. Do you remember people that would come to Jesus and be deeply offended that they weren't in God's good graces because they were children of Abraham? Remember that? That's in the Gospels. Jesus comes across people who were reaching back saying, How dare you? How dare you come in and question whether I'm right with God or not? Our father's Abraham. Remember what Jesus says to them in that moment? Anyone remember? Yeah, stones. Your father Abraham. I can, we, can make, we can make these stones into descendants of Abraham. What it was was this. This, was, this, was, this is similar to religious people today who get into a discussion about God and what they're pinning their hopes on, what they're building their faith on, why they think they are, they are getting into heaven and in God's good graces is because they have lineage. They have help. They've been born into it. Do you know that I've been in Sunday school since the day I was born? I got the Gold Star Award at Awana. I never missed. I went to church three times a week growing up. How dare you think I'm not right with God? We can't help God with his grace. We can only receive it. Not even those who are born into it. Paul's whole emphasis here is this. Those who are closest to it and should have had it just, I mean, it's been, it's been laid out to them on a silver platter. They don't just get in just because they're born as Israelites. That's not who the true children of God are. Abraham believed and therefore was found righteous before God. That's his whole point. The work is God's. Our part in it is to simply receive it. That's the nature of grace. All right. We know that Abraham mattered, uh, his life mattered to him, right? Can we all agree on that? Yes. Uh, We see that Abraham mattered to New Testament writers because they keep writing about him. They keep talking about him. Part of why we're doing two weeks on this guy is because there's a vast amount of scripture about him. So we're going to linger for two weeks on the life of Abraham. The question you might be asking is, why does Abraham matter to me? All right? So now we're going to bridge from the past to the newer past, uh, Paul, now to us. Okay? Here's why it still matters. Because I believe that today... As much as in any other period of history, there's a misguided view of what it means to be blessed by God, even in the church. 
Here's why I think that. When I talk with people, it sounds like, it sounds like people feel and understand themselves to be blessed by God based on the car that they drive, the clothes that they're wearing, the people who like them, how they feel about themselves, the job that they have or don't have, where they live, what they eat. We could go on and on. Does this sound familiar? Now, lest I sound hypocritical and pharisaical, I'm not just talking about the conversations I have with other people, but the conversations I have with myself. I believe there is a misguided view of what it means to be blessed by God. Theologically, we know that that's not what it's hinging on, but practically, it sure seems that that's the case. Every time you question God's goodness due to you not getting your way, I believe you have a misguided view of God's blessing. So anytime you wrestle with that, I believe that you might have a misguided view of God's blessing. Let me just very quickly tell you a couple of things that God's blessing doesn't mean, okay? We know from the life of Abraham, Abraham is known as the father of faith, okay? We know from his life that perfect faith isn't what's required to be blessed by God. Here's how, here's how we can know that. The father of faith seemed to sometimes run short on faith. He leaned on Egypt um, during a famine rather than on God. Things got tough in his lands, he moved. He's a mover and a wanderer. He goes all over the place, in fact. So he goes down to Egypt. Once down there, instead of having faith in God, he pulls the old, oh, my wife's super beautiful, and we're going into a place where people can just take women, uh, and and you'd be powerless to stop them. So I'm going to pull out the old, she's my sister gig. And so that's what he does. That's a lack of faith, is it not? I'm going to lie and kind of help the situation by my lie. God doesn't stand for it. God begins to bring uh, problems and curses down on Pharaoh. And Pharaoh actually comes and confronts him, saying, why did you lie? Here's a pagan guy, not worshiping guy, calling out the guy who knows God why he lied. He actually does this a second time years later. So he has not only faith problems, but besetting sins, where he does it once, and then decades later he doesn't learn from it, and he does it a second time. Here's another thing he does. He takes matters into his own hands and helps God out. God isn't coming through with this child of promise like he thinks in his timing. So at Sarah's suggestion, she, does, she tells him to do something that is much more common in that day and age than we would, it kind of lands shocking on my ears. But it's basically this. Go and and sleep with our servant, and go make the child of offspring through her. Because this is not happening with me. And you can read all about that. Bottom line is, he goes and he does this thing, and he takes matters into his own hands, and that hurts him. We could go on. He lacked courage. He lacked consistency. He certainly lacked patience. So you don't have to be a perfect person. You don't have to have perfect faith to be blessed by God. Here's the second thing that blessing of God does not mean. It does not mean that you will lead a comfortable life. It does not mean that you'll lead a comfortable life. The waiting and the testing with Isaac and the wandering and the wondering, I mean, this blessed life isn't that easy. And anyone who tells you differently is probably selling you something. It's probably tickling your ears in some way, shape, or form. Jesus comes along, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, you're going to look at this at your small groups this week. 
He says, blessed people are. And then he goes off and starts listing some things. They're poor in spirit. Blessed people mourn. Blessed people are meek. Blessed people are peacemakers. Blessed people are. And he just lays it out. As you look at that, here's what I want you to realize. Most of that isn't very comfortable. Notice that it doesn't say blessed people are health, wealth, prosperity. That's not what he says. So we have to change our language and change our thought. I really need to guard my language, and I want us to guard our language around here. One of the things that I try diligently not to do is this. I grew up, and again, I, don't think, I think this was maybe more inadvertent, but I grew up equating worship with music. Worship is not about music. We haven't ended the worship time because the band's down. We're continuing in worship as we open God's word, as we ask for the Holy Spirit to illuminate what it is in our lives that needs to be cut out and needs to be confronted and needs to be fanned into flame, right? And we will continue to worship as we give. We will continue to worship as we pray. We'll continue to worship as we walk out these doors. So we have to be careful with the word worship and what that means. Let's worship now. Oh, I guess we're going to sing. No. Here's why I bring up that one. Because what does it teach when the only time that we say, wow, you're sure blessed by God, is when something good is happening? What does that say to my kids when the only time that they hear those words come out of my mouth is when something good has gone on with someone? Wow, you're sure blessed by God because you got, a, you got that job. You're sure blessed by God because you got your way in that relationship. You're sure blessed by God because you don't have to move and you didn't want to move. It's instructive to us as to how we speak. Job said, shall we not receive both good and bad from the Lord? We sing, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in that, we talk about the good and the bad. Abraham matters because Abraham's story with God is our story. When you look at Abraham, you see that all the work, all the gifting is God's part. What's Abraham's part in all this so far? It's to believe. It's to simply receive. That's it. This all finds completion in the supernatural birth and sacrifice of Jesus. Here's Christianity 101. You'll probably see it at a, at a, at a, you know, at a basketball game today or a football game sometime in the fall. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you see it? God's initiating relationship. God so loved that he did what? That he gave. He blesses. He invites people to be blessed. The gift is his son. Sin's penalty is death and it will be paid. Christ offers salvation by becoming the cursed one, by hanging on a tree, by paying the price for sin. Those who receive the blessing get eternal life. You're invited to be blessed. What do you do? You receive it. The word here in John 3.16 is the word believe. God invites Abraham or Abram at that point to get up and follow to a place that he doesn't know yet. Jesus comes along in Matthew 4.19 and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, inviting relationship to come with him. God promised blessing to Abraham 
And maybe at this point you're saying, how do we get in on that? If he's going to be a blessing to all nations, how do we get in on that? Don't turn there, but just write this down. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 5, says this. Listen carefully. Does God give his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you have heard? This is a very similar argument to what he's talking about in Romans. He's talking about working your way into getting the blessing and earning it or simply having your hand out and just receiving it. Verse 6, he says this, Consider Abraham. Once again, reaching back, consider the men of old. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Did you catch that? The gospel that's, that's, that's been given to us and that we're called to preach to other people was given to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Isn't it powerful to think that as we read about the blessing of Abraham, it's not just some distant thing, well, lucky him. We get in on that. We get in on the blessing of Abraham. That's why today and next week we're considering Abraham. Because his story with God is our story with God. Now, more than just having faith, it's not just, it's not just having faith for, for faith's sake, but who you put your faith in. Here's verse 11 of Galatians 11, of Galatians chapter 3. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Verse 13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that, catch this, the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. It's not just long ago God called someone to be blessed and he received it. God is inviting you to be blessed. And the action item for us is the simplest thing in the world and maybe the hardest thing in the world for you. Just receive it. Don't work for it. Don't strive for it. Don't apply past relationships and how you stay in their good graces to God because his, high, his ways are higher and different than ours. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ today, let me tell you how you get in on the blessing of Abraham. Psalm 84.12 says this, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. You know how you get in on the free gift? You believe it. John 3.16 is absolutely right. You want to not perish? You want to not be held accountable for your sin? It sounds ludicrous to the fleshly mind, but to just say, I receive it. I trust in the work that Christ did. I trust in the penalty that was paid on my behalf. I trust that that's going to be credited to me. Trust in God. Some of you in this room say, I already did that. 
I already did all that, but I still want in on that blessing from Abraham. How do I get in on that? I'm not going to promise you a giant family or land if you touch my finger right here. But here's how you get in on it. You want to know how you're blessed? You're going to fall out of your chair. This is so profound. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. This is how you know you're blessed. Turn with me. This is the last passage you're going to go to. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Read your Bible and start in Ephesians chapter 1. And in Ephesians chapter 1, what we get to see in one chapter are some of the incredible blessings that are ours. We already possess them. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He is writing to Christians, regular, everyday Christians at a church, much like what we're doing today. So this is for those who've placed their trust in Christ Jesus. As you go through just chapter 1, here's what he does. He starts to kind of unpack the different things. You want to know what some of these heavenly blessings are? Here they are. You're chosen by God. You are today holy and blameless before God. That's something to be thankful for. That's something to celebrate. That's something to move you in worship. You're adopted. That's part of your choosing. You're adopted into a family. You're useful to God. You're absolutely free from the punishment and penalty of your sin. You are brought in on knowing God's plans and you're partners with Him. You have an inheritance with Him. You are signed, sealed, and delivered in the Holy Spirit. We're not even out of chapter 1 yet. You want to know how you get in on the blessing of Abraham? Read your Bible. There's lots more. But start with Ephesians chapter 1. This morning we're considering Abraham. If you're in Christ today, it's powerful to think that one of those stars that Abraham went out and looked at was you. It was lit for me because I'm in Christ. And centuries from now would be this guy that trusts in this same God who's inviting him to be blessed and he just received it. I believe and am blessed because of Abraham's offspring, Jesus. What God started in Abraham, he continues in us. Here's part two of the invitation. Part two of the invitation is this. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you'll be a blessing to others. He says that in the four different places I just read from. He actually reiterates that a couple of different times. I'm going to pour favor into you so that you can pour my favor into other people. And he goes huge with this, that all the nations of the earth, all families would be blessed because of you. We're going to look at the be a blessing part next week. You know that next week involves some action on part, in, on, on, on our part. We get to do something next week. But for now, what I want you to linger with for one whole week is this. We don't do anything except receive. Nothing. I'll tell you what religion is in a nutshell. Religion in a nutshell is taking this invitation and inverting the order. Here it is. You 
Go be a blessing to people. You go give to people. You go help people. You go pour out favor on people. And then I will invite you to be blessed and be in my good standing. Instead, we see that exact opposite. Out of my grace, I choose you, Abraham. Believe it and receive it. That's done. Now, all this blessing that's there, it's not for you to hoard and get a bigger storage unit. It's to give it away. Go be a blessing out of this knowledge that I love you and accept you and you're justified before me. That's what we want to linger with this whole week. Let's pray. God, I confess to you this morning that I so often want to help you in saving me, which diminishes you and your work and elevates me as if I could add something to the process. I thank you for the clear picture of the gospel in the whole of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, in complete agreement that the great news proclaimed by the entire scripture is that the work and the calling is done by you. God, this morning, would you help us just to be receivers? Would you help us to lay down striving for you? Certainly, if it's motivated, God, to be in your good graces, to make up, to give penance for past sin. I pray that you would clear us from that. Pray that you'd free us from that, God. For those who've been striving under the law, I pray, God, that this morning it would be clear to them. Lay it down. Cease striving and know that I am God.